Welcome everyone to Investing for Generational Wealth. Let us dive into the world of expert financial insights and strategies. This is your host, Keshav Kalor, and I'm joined by my partner, John Maya here. Welcome to today's episode, How to Evaluate Your Passive Investment with Justin Smith. Before we begin, here's a quick disclaimer. We are not financial advisors. All investments are subject to risks, including the possible loss of the money you invest. So perform your due diligence before making any financial investments. And of course, consult your CPA and your attorney before beginning investments. Today's guest is Justin Smith, and Justin is the founder of Rel Equity Enterprises, a housing and real estate development firm. He has spent pursuing his childhood goal of owning a city block and one of his personal passions to build student housing and living communities. Professionally, he has led projects through the entire development cycle, from capital analysis to the pre-development stages, design management, construction, and asset management. Justin led the successful development and construction of on-campus and off-campus student housing projects, including 1,356 units of housing constructed over the last seven years, exceeding $600 million in value. And he has had public and private partnerships with institutions such as UC Berkeley, Boise State University, and Sacramento State University. Thank you for being here with us today, Justin. And with that, let's get into it. Just well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, if you could start off by introducing yourself in this way. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, uh, thanks for that uh, uh, gracious introduction. Uh, uh, my name is Justin Smith. Um, I founded a firm called Real Equity, uh, uh, Real Equity uh, Investments and Advisory Practices. And we do a host of different things, but but essentially we, we, we like to realize um, our dreams, we like to realize your dreams, and we like to help you know the community continue to thrive, foster, and grow. Great. Okay, thank you. If you could give us like your backstory, how did you get into this? Like, what does your journey look like? Just a quick synopsis. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> really the, the 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 backstory and the front story is the story. You know. Um, you know, I, I started off sort of with the passion for the built environment, with the passion for for art, uh, architecture, and and building things. Right? You know, starting off with you know as a, 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 a young one, kind of thinking about, hey, well, what do I want to do when I grow up, or what do I like to do? And my mother always said, you know, live your life through your passions. Um, so at a young age, you know, that's what I that that's what I wanted to do. My inspiration came from my actual a, a neighborhood project that was a vacant lot in a in a young entrepreneur and and, and African American developer uh, right in right in Oakland, California, uh, put up a whole host of Victorian homes, and that's what really opened my eyes to the opportunities of taking barren land. And, and building a project out of it and replicating something that was already in the neighborhood and then replicating you know, houses and Victorian homes that look just like the older ones that were 60 and 70 years old. So, so that was a real inspiration for me. And for that, you know, that really got me hooked on, oh, okay, well, if you think it, if you design it, you can build it. And so, you know, it took me through courses, you know, architecture and construction management, and then eventually going into, you know, investment finance and 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 and, and real estate finance and, and kind of putting the whole picture and and along the way, 
doing a bit of it myself with single family residences with with duplexes with small multifamily and then graduating to some of the larger stuff so, so it's just been a lifelong passion of mine that's great to hear and where are you based out of I'm based out of the San Francisco, Oakland Bay area. Okay, got it. Yeah. Cool. And what would you say your primary focuses are in commercial real estate? You'd say student housing and multifamily? You know, the I would, yes. And, and I'd add a third piece, which is workforce housing. And that's from an opportunistic lens that essentially the uh, the Northern California Bay area and, and many other areas uh, has a strong need for housing, you know, just the, the three major cities, um, let's say San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, you know, they're, they're almost 200,000 units short of what, where they should be, right? Um, and we just can't build fast enough, you know, we can't, you know, develop and entitle projects fast enough to really make, meet that curve in the next foreseeable future. So uh, that that's definitely a strong area that I have experience in and want to see uh, uh, things continue to happen. And, and, and the tide is sort of moving in that direction with, with many types of projects, whether it's projects aligned with cities, uh, counties, uh, faith-based organizations, um, with, with nonprofit organizations and so on. Gotcha. Okay. What are, and this is a probably too vague of a question. I guess at a high level, what are some of the main pillars that you look for when you're evaluating a passive investment opportunity, right? You said that there's a lot of this housing that needs to be built and that's gonna require a lot of capital. And that's a great opportunity for mm -hmm. a lot of investors to both drive financial returns for themselves, but also contribute positively. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that when, you, when you're starting to look at sort of passive investment uh, opportunities, um, the and you're not the the general you know the it's not an active investment for you uh you're not on the general team or the gp team as they call it right and, and you're maybe an lp and want to do it passively i think you really have to evaluate the the team right because you're be you're aligning yourself your current interest your future interest with theirs. So, so you really need to know that there's some synergy there, that there's a team there, that there's, there's some experience there, there's some, some foresight, there's some uh, general understanding of how you, know, you do things and how they would do things. What, what is your mission alignment? I, I think that's really important and understanding you know, sort of who they are, right? Um, it doesn't make sense to jump right into a deal with the team and, and not really understand those those intangible variables, right? Um, because ultimately, in some respects, they might call it a marriage, right? Because you, you, you're with that group for, you know, it's usually a five-year hold. Um, it may be three, but, but nevertheless, it's usually a five-year hold. So it's a, it's a long time. And so you're really building a relationship with that group. So, so look at that. Um, and, and the second thing I would say is really understand what your buying criteria is, you know, is this an asset type that, that you're familiar with? Um, is this an asset type that, you know, you see yourself involved with? Um, do you see that happening in your community? Do you see that happening in the community where you're investing? Um, you know, what type of asset type is it? And really try to understand and learn that. And I'll give out a few asset types. There may be asset types like, 
uh, uh, self-storage. There may be asset types like uh, 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 senior housing, workforce housing, student housing. Um, it could be industrial. Um, it could be cold storage. Um, you know, and, and and it goes on and on and on from the real estate specter. And, and there are others and other passive investing inspectors. But I'd say those two things: understand who the operators and who that team is, and then have some general understanding for that type of product type. Make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah. What are some good questions to ask with respect to, again, the team, but also mm -hmm. the deal, right? I know one thing that I always recommend to people is to read the hands-off investor uh, by mm -hmm. work and to kind of go through that mm -hmm. as a framework. What are some like top three questions they always ask a new sponsor or that you recommend people ask a new sponsor? Um, top three questions to answer, to ask a new sponsor is if the building doesn't, if the building, if the building drops from a hundred percent occupancy or 90% as presented and goes all the way down to 50% where half the building is empty, what would you do? Right. Um, if, if. If you're not able to rent the building out because it's based on rents, you know what would you do? And really, maybe that's that. Maybe that's the same question, right? Um, the second question is, how are you improving the community with this particular asset? What What are you doing with this? Because usually, with with multifamily deals, um, and and I'm and I'm assuming this is sort of on the larger end, your 70 unit, your 80 unit, your, and, and so on, 100 units and so on. So really you have many, these are communities. These, this is where people live, love, breathe, and raise families and so on. So so, so I'd say that, that'd be that second question. And then, then the third question would be, um, what happens when something goes wrong? Who do I call? You know? Uh, what up? What happens when you know something goes wrong on the property, and I hear about something? Who do I call? Who's my go-to person? So those are the, the, those are not your your standard questions, but 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 those are questions that that team should have should understand. Those are those are questions that that team should have their understanding around how they're going to deal with contingencies, good, bad, and indifferent. So the, those would be the, the 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 type of questions that I would ask. Uh, can I ask uh, a follow-on question sure. with that? Um, yeah. So uh, turn around. What if an investor asks you those questions? Uh, so if a if an investment opportunity drops to fifty percent occupancy, what do you typically do? Um, and I guess how do you assess that? And then the other questions. Uh, you know, who do you go to? Who's your go-to person? Uh, and then how do you improve their community? I think those are great well, questions. Right? Yeah, no, um, just, just writing down a couple of notes. But but the first question in terms of um, the my deals usually involve not just the asset, but a mission-driven and thematic approach. And what I mean by that is any deal that I get into needs to fit into the mission-driven criteria that, that we sort of engender, and that's three C's, community, 
collaboration, and cash flow. You need to have alignment of those three ideologies, which eventually go into three practices, which can eventually move into benchmarks. So let me break that down a little bit, a community. So you got to understand that it's not just an asset. It's not just a piece of real estate. It's someone's home. It's some. It's a collection of homes. It's a collection of community. It's a collection of a youth that may live in that particular area. So, so how are you making that that property a community? Because now, how does that affect you with the fifty percent? Because happy people equate to happy residents, equate to high occupancy, equate to greater than 90% if you're doing all those things right, right? And so, so you're really building community around that. You want to have, and, and so let's get a little bit more granular. Uh, um, you know, what are you doing on special holidays? You know, do you have a little 4th of July something for your residents? Do you have a little Cinco de Mayo party? Is there a little, you know, Oktoberfest or is there a little Halloween something going on? So really build community so that you don't get to that 50%. If you do get down to that 50%, then you may have to thematically build in a program that, that attracts people there. What's the curb appeal? Yeah, curb appeal is one thing, but living there as a community and being there feeling safe, uh, uh, feeling pr proud of your neighborhood, uh, a pride of ownership or a pride of home uh, ownership. And I know this may be a rental situation, but proud of, you know, proud of your space. That helps you either get from 50 to 90 or stay at 90 and stay there with, with that. Um, the next thing is go to, right? You do need to have a, a team of key people that are responsible. Boots on the ground. And it might be one person. It may be several, but you need to be responsive. And, and responsive A to your investors with great communication and, 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 and leading communication, but then also responsive to that community. So if they have questions, right, they can say, okay, well, we're going to call, you know, X, Y, and Z property management firm or, and, and, and if they can't call them, we'll go to the asset manager and that type of thing. So, so, and then lastly, if you can build the community, build that relationship, be that go-to and be responsive the cash flow should follow. You, you, you look at your, ben, you, then you, you start putting benchmarks in place. Well, where's our cash, where's our occupancy level now? Where's our loss to lease now? Uh, 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 how many renters are at this particular level and how many are coming up for renewals? Then you start looking at all those benchmarks and pieces to ensure that you can maintain the cash flow levels that you might've uh, introduced to your investors coming in. So that's how the, three C's in my mind sort of work together and how they're integral in terms of uh, uh, creating a healthy environment and a cash flowing opportunity. That's great. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And I guess on the other side of that question, right, instead of what are three things, what are like three, maybe instead of green flags, like red flags that you look for when you evaluate a new sponsor team or let's say we'll start with sponsor team red flags. Mm -hmm. you know um some some of the red flags are are um experience you know uh and uh, and and how much of this do they do uh how much does the team do or is it just like, hey, you know, we're just out doing these projects and we're all for the money or we're all for the mailbox money or we're all for these different, 
you know, sort of anecdotal kind of references that are out there um, because that's almost like a TV commercial. It's a lure to get people in, right? And that's great. And I understand how that works, but also, you know, how vested are you, right? Um, so, so looking for those red flags would be, you know, just having a lot of the eye candy in terms of, hey, this is attractive, this, that, and the other, but, but, but maybe not having the systems or having the understanding that this is a longevity, that this is a long-term deal. So, so to me, if, if you don't have the alignment of sort of a long-term perspective as well as the eye candy, then that's a red flag. Um, the experience can be a red flag. Um, not understanding the demographics or the asset or where the asset is, you know, in real estate, they obviously, you know, you've already, you heard the term location, location, location. So, okay, GP team, how well do you understand location, location, location? Is that just three words? Or is that three real places that you have to uh, understand as it relates to activating that particular asset? Because in, in each new deal, you're really reactivating that asset, right? Uh, at the at its highest level. So what's your reactivation plan? And if you don't have that plan and it's just like, hey, we're going to get in and we're going to, you know, have fun and we're going to, you know, make mailbox money, then this and that, um, that's a red flag. Make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. How about with the deal itself? With the deal itself, I think you got to look at a number of things. I think you got to look at, you know, um, a couple of anecdotal things. Uh, what type of property is it? Is it class A? Is it class B or class C? So you really have to understand that. Once you understand that, then the deal itself, you start to evaluate each one of those. If it's class A, um, you know, what are the rents in the market? You know, how new is it? Um, you know, what's the possibilities of other properties being built or under, you know, how many cranes are in the air, right? You know, in that particular area, if there's, if it's a class A deal and you got 12 cranes in the area and it's growing like crazy, well, that might spell some, some difficult circumstances or challenging circumstances as it relates to occupancy. Uh, and, and that aligns with, with revenue, right? Because you got all this new product and, you know, a year later, everybody leaves yours that's a year old and they go to the one that's one month old. And then that becomes a year old and then everybody leaves and goes. To, and I know that's that, that, that might be a, a little bit comical, but um, you do have to understand that. And then, and then with your class B properties, you got to have to look at, you know, that's more in your value add. You know, it's a little bit older, um, but 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 what's going on there and understanding that that particular type of product and what that actually means. And then your C and your D are probably a little bit older. So you're looking at CapEx. You're looking at um, uh, uh, the type of building you're looking at. Uh, um, heck, you might be looking at, you know, pest problems and things like that. You're looking at, you know, sewer systems, storm systems, water systems, your roof, um, you know, HVAC system. And it may have a little bit more of that um, in, in the property that more CapEx and OpEx and things like that that you have to deal with. So looking at the deal, it's important to understand if it's class A, B, or C. And each one of those can have its own sort of checklist of of things to 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 start down that road. They're they're all assets, they're all real estate, but they're slightly different in terms of its approach uh, from a from an investment perspective, from a buying perspective, and then from an uh, asset management perspective.
And even even as an LP, you think it's important for investors to look at that down to detail, like things like pest control or you know how old are the pipes, things like that. No, I I don't think that an LP should be, you know, as concerned with that. But well, let me say it like this: Let's say you're an LP. And your GP team is going to buy a particular property in a particular city. And you go on, you know, some website that evaluates properties and, and has renters and, and gives reviews. And you see that there's a bunch of reviews, that there's a bunch of pest problems. You know, over the last two, three years, you know, it's like it's getting one stars and two stars and things like that. That information is there. That history is in on the Internet, right? So maybe you as an LP go, hey, I see this this property has gotten consistently one, one or two stars. Um, I've read the reviews. People think the place is a dump and we're going to buy it. And what's your plan for turning it around? So you may not be looking at those things specifically. And you might think those things are beneath, you know, sort of the 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 the, the, the conspicuance of a of a of an LP. But they're not because they were just right. Those things are kind of right out there. So um, I think that LP should should do their own homework, should do that cursory review, go out on the Internet and look at, you know, the different sites that that either evaluate or have the rent program or the other, you know, apartments.com or whatever the case might be. Um, but, but look at what it says about that particular asset. Then then ask your team, how are we going to address this? Because this is my investment that I'm putting dollars into. So if you can't address this historical issue that's been happening, uh, let me see, eight months ago, one year ago, two years ago, right? And then, yeah. then are you going to do the things that you say you're going to do, right? So those are anecdotal things. And they may not be looking at, you know, um, you know how many HVAC units are failing over, over you know, over a hundred unit deal. Not that, but some of that uh, historical context that, that you know, because it used to be curb, you guys have heard, it used to be curb appeal. That was everything, right? Now it's like likes and hearts and thumbs up and stars that evaluates everything nowadays because that's where everybody goes first, right? Yeah. You know, so just just a different different perspective, but but it, it is telling in a sense. Got it. And when you're as a passive investor, when you're valuing opportunity, what kind of information would you recommend that? you have like the investor has in front of them some some sponsors just give out a pitch deck others pitch deck and underwriting other people just even throw in market study there you know i i, I think that a thorough i think a thorough pitch deck can um be referenceable and and good enough for that first look right um, if, if you see something there, if you're familiar with there, if you see, if you see a trend there, if you really understand kind of what you're looking at, a pitch deck can be a, a good document. Um, and, and then beyond that, if you want to get a little bit further, yeah, go to that GP team or go to that sponsor team and start asking those things. Hey, did you guys get this information from a, from a, 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 a census study? Uh, is this a, is, is this a, you know, a market study that you have commissioned? Did you buy it off of a, um, uh, 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 one of those real estate sites, um, can, can I see it, right? And so, so I think pitch deck is first. Um, and then I think if you have questions, if you want to dig deeper, I think it's 
it should be part of the, the, the responsibility of the sponsor to provide you that detail. So, and, and, and you should be um, knowledgeable of, of, of what you're getting into. And I think that I think that, that makes sense. So pitch deck first and then ask for greater details uh, as you have questions or as you as you unfold or, 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 or wander further into that opportunity. Um, I had a question. Uh, just mm -hmm. listening to uh, your focus areas, your, your you know kind of your buy box. Part of it is an emphasis on mission, and so I mm -hmm. wonder if you work closely with cities and counties uh, that provide, for example, low income housing. Um, and if so, can you talk about the nuances, issues you encounter uh, with, and maybe some benefits in working with uh, cities and, and uh, counties, and then what type of this uh, information do you think passive investor would be interested in, in hearing about? Yeah, with respect to, you know, most of our projects are not, uh, um, uh, they're not affordable housing projects. On, on the on the development side, there's a relationship with cities and counties that I need to have um, because it's a different type of relationship. They're the authority having jurisdiction. So you need to have that alignment. You need to have the relationship. But on the, on the multifamily acquisition side, where you're buying 200 or 150 units or whatever, um, it, it, it's less of that. But but you do need to know sort of, um, and, and not in a traditional, you do need to know some of the politics and, and the social governance of, of that area, right? Um, and that's where I think cities and counties come into play. Like, you know, what's that county all about? Or what's that city all about? Um, you know, what do they like to do? Do people like to live there? You know, what are their, what, what are their politics? You know, are they, you know, leaning this way or leaning that way? Um, you know, what's the, what, what's the town center like that town center? Is there a downtown? You know, it, as they say, is there a there there, right? So, so that that's where I think the LP can really uh, anecdotally kind of do their research on a particular city. You can pull up, you know, uh, uh, any particular, you can pull up Atlanta, Georgia and kind of see what's the flavor of that city. You can pull up a Washington DC or, or Tulsa, Oklahoma or, or Columbus, Ohio and kind of see what's the flavor of that place. And, and, and to some extent, the, the, the city and county both, both politics and both authorities will kind of lean and craft in 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 that direction. Um, so so with respect respect to buy box, you know, I I look to the city, what type of city, um, and then metrics can provide that, like uh, crime rate, population growth, income growth, uh, price of a single family home, rising price of homes over the last five years. So you can kind of look at demographics and and numbers to kind of tell you some of those things without going to the city and county or having that relationship with them. Because, you know, as, as they say, we're living in a very data-driven society right now, <laughs> soon to be an AI-driven society, maybe, hopefully, hope not, you know, but anyway, <laughs> I hope that answers your question. <laughs> it does, yes, thanks. Um, I, I also had a question about as we all know, the rising interest rates, or you know, I guess they're at the interest rates that are kind of fixed now. Mm -hmm. uh, how has that affected uh, how you've invested? And then, um, obviously, as a passive investor, you're you're looking at that as well. Uh, it's putting downward pressure on a lot of multifamily uh, syndications. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
if you could talk a little bit about that, I'd be interested to get your perspective. Yeah, interest rates, it's an interesting thing because it's something that you can't control. Um, but you have to allow for it. So um, on, on, the, on the new development side of things, it, it has really cabled, canceled, tabled, or changed the trajectory of deals altogether. Um, on the acquisition side of things, it's it's done roughly the same, but it's made you think differently about it. When I first got into this industry, you know, I, I read a book that was called Nothing Down. And it's not that it was a strategy to say, hey, you buy every property that's nothing down. Really what it was, was think alternatively about circumstances. Because if there's one thing that will happen in the real estate development and construction industry that you can bank on 100% that will happen, it's change. So that being the case, you gotta put change, you gotta put interest rates, you gotta put insurance rates, you gotta put uh, uh, um, certain metrics in that box of change and really understand how you, you manage, manipulate and or control your asset around those things. Um, so with respect to interest rates going up, what did it, what did it affect? It, it affected, it affected um, um, you, you're buying, you, you're going in uh, um, a bridge, your bridge loan, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Do you buy it? with an existing bridge loan product? Do you use maybe HUD product? Um, do you look for a different asset type? Um, do you try to do some type of uh, carry back with the seller? You know, and so it really starts to make you to think creatively. I mean, I think, I think through some of your, your listeners might think, you know, be around, you know, doing investing in, the, in 2018, 19 and 20 where interest rates were you know in the low threes and fours and you could get bridge and and everyone was jumping into real estate and then jumping back out and the five-year holds were going out in like 18 months or two years or whatever and, and and making a nice profit but a lot of that was on the backs of interest rates now the interest rates have gone up you know and i'll also say during those years it made a lot of you know novice investors look like heroes now it makes you know, the novice investor work a little bit harder and, and to some extent they should. And, and you know, you got to think differently about that particular deal. So that without going into too much deal about interest rate, because it, it can be sort of this rabbit hole, I'd say you got to really think differently and understand that change will happen. And interest rate is one of those changes. And, and how can you still uh, uh, effectuate that deal knowing that interest rates are high? And then you also might have to make the decision, John, do I do that deal? Does that deal make sense? I might need to say no. You know, don't put yourself or your investors in a place where you have a six month hardship, right? Um, you, you may have to just cancel that, say no, nope, didn't, you know, be disciplined. So that's my thoughts around interest rates. That's right. Yeah. Thank you for that. Hmm? Anecdotally, like what have some of your best passive investments look like? And what anecdotally what have some of your worst passive investments look like? And, and um, you know, in real estate, I 
most of my investments are are active. You know, uh, I'm, I'm, I I I I strive for the active. Um, I have had one or two sort of you know LP or GP, but but some of the best has been you know projects where you have a a well oiled machine, um, a good GP team, um, a very active team. You know, one that is open for ideas and, and communicates well with the LP, you know, the GPLP team, you know, communicates well together. Um, it's a little bit smaller. It may not be as large. You know, the larger groups tend to, you, you, you tend to get caught up in either group think or uh, they'll take, you know, or, or group reliance, meaning uh, that one or two person will take care of it. The remaining 20 of us will sit out on the sidelines, right? So I... I so, so the good projects have been projects that have, that are led well, uh, um, good processes and procedures, uh, smaller teams, um, and people with good experience. You know, and then the, you know the teams obviously that, that that didn't do so well. You know, interesting. Some of some of them were smaller, but also it goes back to the that person or that person's that group that's leading it. How are they leading it? You know, what are they doing to to manage that particular asset. And once you kind of uncover that stone and you see things or problems that that doesn't make sense, then then you quickly have to jump in and say, hey, okay, what's going on here? Let me make some adjustments and changes. And, and so that's been on the the you know the bad deal side of things where we've had to kind of take a look at the you know the team that's running the show or or the team that's uh, the group or person that's in charge and say, hey, look. You know, let's just agree to disagree, but you know, we, we we need to move in a different direction and have those hard conversations, you know, about what's going on. Yeah. Uh, can, I, can I ask if your team is either currently um, doing more builds or buys, and um, in this environment, are you? Mm -hmm. Well, let's start there. Are you doing more builds or buys, and are you really just you know? Um, do you think this is the environment to buy or are you waiting out the next couple of months? I, I think this is a great time to buy. I think, I think, I, I, I don't think that you should be persuaded by all the different factors with respect to buying. But back to my point, I think it's a great time to buy. Um, I also, and I, and I can say that with some level of confidence because I also subscribe to the concept that you make money when you buy. So now's the time. Interest rates are here. Owners are not, you know, are, are, are not the kings and queens of their castle as, as they were back in 2017, 18, 19, 20. Um, they're not asking for these astronomical numbers. They're coming down to the ground, you know, you know, other factors, you know, you got materials prices all over the place. And Now's the time to underwrite. Now's the time to evaluate the deals and find the deal that work for you and find it at a price point that works for you. Because while everybody's running around with their hair on fire, I'm sure you got a little water for somebody with a little bit of fire and a little bit of hair. You can put it out and you can make their life happy and you can make money when you buy the deal, right? Because usually in times of distress or times of sort of, sort of chaos, uh, um, it is also times of opportunity as well. Do you, do you uh, find that in California? Just because I, I came from California and I know the mm -hmm. prices of California. So uh, do you find that 
that you're looking within California or are you looking outside of California? You know, California is an anomaly. <laughs> I see, you know, like the, the, the West Coast and East Coast are really anomalies from a pricing perspective because, you know, pricing can be so high, right? It, it's already built on, you know, already at, 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 at an exponential or very high sort of cost basis. You know, a fourplex in the Bay Area, let's just say Berkeley, you know, might cost you $3 million now, right? Just does that quite cash flow? But but here's the important thing to understand about California, though, because you can buy real estate in California. You should buy real estate in California. So so you you you, you really need to understand if you're buying for uh, um, a long play or a short play, right? Are you 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 buying for? In other words, you buying for cash flow or appreciation? Like California, got to understand it's an appreciation market, right? You know, it might be expensive to get in, but you, it, it may appreciate you know, better than other markets. It, it may have limited cash flow, but you're going to make 10% on appreciation, you know, a year from now or, or some, not 10%, but some particular percent uh, uh, greater in the next year because, you know, we have the sunshine. We have, you know, one of the one of the highest con uh, economies. You know, we, we're on par. What are we, the, the, fourth, the fourth or fifth largest economy in as a country in the world, right? Um, um, you know, you got the beaches, you got the industry, you got the technology, you know, you got parks, zoos, people, I, albeit some of us, you know, some of the people, I, we're a little bit crazy, but but mm. but nevertheless, we're, we're, we're all fun, loving and everything else. So for those of you listeners that are saying, hey, well, you said California is crazy. Hey, I, I, you know, I'm part of that, too. So, you know, we're all a little bit kind of skeptical of something, but nevertheless, we're good people um, um, versus your. So, so that's your appreciation versus your cash flow markets where you can buy um, the prices are cheaper. Um, the revenues are are what they are, but you can get some cash flow appreciation. I mean, a cash flow from that, maybe a little appreciation. Um, California might be a six to seven year, you know, year over year appreciation. That market might be two to three percent of appreciation year over year, but it has the cash flows. You know, your your, your Midwest yeah, states, you, uh, um, you know, your, your, your Des Moines, Iowa, your Columbus, Ohio's, uh, uh, um, parts of Texas and states in Texas, um, you know, your your Oklahoma's, your, you know, Kentucky's and other places where they, they may be, and this is not across the board, but they may be more cash flow markets um, and things like that. So, so in real estate, you make money when you buy. Number two, you have to understand if it's a if it's a, a cash flow or an appreciation market. Okay, great, thanks. Would yep. you recommend going like what kind of investor would you recommend go into an appreciation market versus a cash flow market? You mean you said what type of investor would I go to, or investment? What type of investor would you recommend? go to an appreciation market versus a cash flow market yeah it, if if you if you're looking for a long-term play or a long-term sort of a buy and hold strategy meaning you, you buy now um you manage it carefully and cautiously and 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 you're looking for a five year, six year, seven year hold. That's probably your appreciation market because, you know, it's a longer term hold. If you're in the business and you have a shorter window, uh, you may be looking for more cash flows up front. 
Um, you may be looking for a quicker turn. Um, that's probably your cash flow, cash flow markets. Um, you know, you can buy it at certain amounts and variables and, and so on. Um, but it kicks off cash flow, and that's the that's the thing you're looking at if you're trying to get a a six or an eight percent cash on cash return and, and things like that, right? So that then then that that investor should look for those so those cash flow markets. Would you say earlier on in your investing journey you should be more focused on cash flow and maybe when when you're trying to build you know a solid base of wealth? And since these deals, like you said, are are on a shorter time horizon. You can keep money mm -hmm. moving a lot quicker and growing at a quicker rate versus once you become more, have like a more solid base of wealth to work off of, then you switch to more appreciation plays. No, I, I think that if you're talking early on, I think you should have a, a balanced mix of both. I mean, you should have somewhat of a diversified portfolio. Um, but, but, but early on, if you're younger in age and, and so on, you have the benefit of time too. So that, that actually works in your favor, right? Um, so I think that's a good thing. The, the other thing is you, you mentioned or you alluded to size. I think that with respect to size, you know, if you're a smaller investor where you're in sort of, you know, three to five unit or maybe even six to 10 unit, right? Um, you do have the time is to your advantage uh, in some respect, right? Um, you can hold it. You can hold it for long term. Um, you know, you can fix things up at, at smaller margins of cost. Um, you know, you might even be able to sell it quicker or faster uh, uh, in that arena because dollars may move a little bit freer in some of those spaces. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's what I would recommend there. But it, it, it all, then again, it all depends, <laughs> but, you know, create a strategy, you know, create a strategy, be disciplined, trust your numbers, follow an approach, and then be ready for change. Um, what do you social deals? Um, and, and I guess I, we talked a little bit about Look, looking in California versus elsewhere, but are you uh, working with brokers within the region that you're looking at, whether it's California or elsewhere, or are you sourcing it uh, other ways? Sourcing of deals is is really a, um, it, it, it comes from different sources. You know, um, there, there are some brokers there that might call and have deals. There, there may be colleagues or friends or people in the business that, that, uh, a call on deals. So it, it comes from different sources. It comes from different places. Um, you know, people may try to do a deal and and they can't quite get it over the hump and they may call and say, hey, well, here's why I'm trying to do this and that. Um, do you know of a team that can help out? And, and, you know, I might say, hey, well, I know John, you know, John, you know, can, can you know, he, he's got, you know, this, this interest in this and that. Um, that's not particularly my geographic area, but hey, call John. So, so, so once you kind of get in this pipeline or get in this 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 community of investors, um, and you stay in it and you stay disciplined with what you want to do, and you and you let people know what you're doing, right? Um, and, and 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 you know some of that is through you know podcasts and and, and conversations like this. Um, you know, you you get calls. Um, 
and, and you share those and, and so on. So that, that's that's how deals kind of. So I get a pretty healthy deal flow um, of things coming in. Good. But always looking for always looking for new opportunities because there's always that there's always that buy box that, that well, there's always that opportunity for for the deal to hit the buy box that that goes in and it comes out as a no right mm -hmm. <laughs> no for me but maybe good for somebody else so where's the next one so if you're listening right there and you got that great student deal and you're like eh, I wonder what he'll think about this one well go ahead and send me an email we maybe we'll talk about it. <laughs> Well, uh, what is your team like? Do you have a person responsible for sourcing deals uh, and talking to, continuing talking to brokers and maybe in, on acquisitions as well as dispositions? I, I forget, do you buy and, you see you buy and hold, so you're not really uh, as active in the disposition front. Not, well, it's interesting you mentioned that. I do have some things that we're looking, um, that we're active in the disposition front right now. But, um, but, but to get to your question in terms of team, you know, Teams are sort of uh, geographically based in some sense. Um, so, so um, the what makes me able to be nimble and go to different places and is is having trusted teams in different places. You know, having someone. You know, there, there may be several of us uh, on my team that 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 does the uh, initial deal identification, talking to brokers, talking to new new operators. Um, uh, sourcing deals, underwriting, and that type of thing. But then when, once it becomes, you know, something that's real, then we might tap into, you know, our team that's there um, and say, hey, here's another one. What do you guys think of that? Let's put all of our heads together, whether it's our investment team, our asset management team, you know, our strategy and executive team. And then maybe the, if there's a property manager uh, on that particular, we bring them in and kind of have that conversation, toss it around and see if it's something that we all collectively want to want to do. So team team may not be a, a specific number like, oh, there's five of us on a team, but but it, it's more um, roles or role and responsibility based. Got it. OK. Hmm? Um, do you. Uh, uh, Kishab, do you have other questions? You want to uh, not that I can think of right now, no. Do you have something that uh, you typically convey to passive investors that um, you think the audience would want to hear? Some, yeah, some like, nugget, of, uh, nugget of wisdom that typically you don't hear in, or maybe it's from some other individual that you don't normally hear from um, a GP, right? GPs don't normally bring it up, but maybe a passive investor might want to hear. You know, I, 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 I threw out one of them earlier, like, you know, having that, that the mission base, you know, the three C's, right? So that's one, community collaboration, cash flow, right? Um, the, the, the other thing is um, making sure that your GP team, you know, um, understands that that the that that they don't know everything and they need to what I call fill your blind spots. So that's what teaming is to me. What teaming is really about. It's not about oh I got six seven people on my team because all of them could be all cut from the same cloth and they're, and they're just as blind as you are, right? But really you need a team that allows you to fill your blind spots, right? So so, so that's number two. Number three I think is really uh, know your lane, know your game. If if someone that's a GP came to me and said hey you know 
we're doing this this great uh, 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 um, student housing project, and you know we want you to invest in it. And just last week, they were trying to sell me on some industrial, you know, cold storage project. I'd be like, "Come on, guys! Like, know your lane, know your game. Like, what? Who are you? Are you self storage? Are you student housing? Like, are you nuclear? Like, what are you? So, so understand that you know from a GP, what I'd say is out there is hey. Make sure they know their lane and know their game, right? If you if you got the fly by night person that's, you know, constantly coming to you and you know popping up eleven o'clock in the afternoon, like, hey, I got this new deal and it's it's in Tulsa and I got this new deal, it's in Tennessee, I got this new deal, it's in San Diego, they're like, mm, you're all over the map, <laughs> you know. So, um, but but th but those are just some of the things that you know you know is emission driven, you know, filling blind spots in terms of team, knowing your lane, knowing your game, you know, sort of anecdotal, anecdotal to me that, that gives me some sense of, you know, uh, a purpose for me, but B also holding others accountable in terms of what are those for them? And if they can answer that, then I know that there's some, there's sort of a business uh, strategic alignment and we can talk further. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's uh, it. Uh, if you wanted to have anyone in the audience contact you, uh, uh -huh. how can they best contact you? How can they best reach you and your team? Um, the best way to reach me uh, is through the website. It's uh, relequity, R-E-L-Equity.com. Um, we have means of con connecting there, whether it's, you know, there's an email there. Um, there's a contact us and there's some, some other, uh, means of, of reaching out to us directly. So that, so that's the best, best way. That's R R E L E Q U I T Y real equity, no A in it.com. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this has been awesome. Much. Yeah. Thank you very yeah. much for the presentation again, uh, Justin. Uh, so just a recap, uh, learned yeah. quite a few things today, you know, started with, uh, your background, your passion for building things. And I love the slogan, if you think it, design it, you can build it. Uh, and then you went into the main pillars of uh, what to look for and evaluating opportunities. You uh, obviously evaluate the team, but you have to have a uh, make sure that your team has, uh, that you're investing in has a mission alignment and that they really understand their buy box and uh, buying criteria. Uh, you also talked about the three C's, community collaboration and cash flow, which is great. Happy people equals happy occupancy or high occupancy. Uh, I like that equation. Um, you went through the red flags, uh, which is great. Uh, talked about interest rates. Uh, like, I love the uh, book, um, Nothing Down and Thinking Alternatively About Circumstances. That's always great, uh, especially in this interest rate environment. You really don't know what to expect. Um, mm -hmm. You also mentioned that, you know, do I have the right deal and having the investors, uh, you know, best, uh, uh, best efforts in, in mind and making sure that you uh, look out for the investor. I, I uh, mm -hmm. love that approach as well. Uh, and then really just the, the uh, different type of investors uh, in the appreciation market, cash flow market. Uh, that's yeah. really useful. Um, and then the nuggets, you know, making sure. Your GP uh, doesn't know everything that you have the team to kind of fill your uh, blind spots and that uh, the, the know your name, uh, know your lame, uh, lame 
uh, know your game. I love that as well. You know, everyone should uh, have that buy box, know what they're specialized and focused on. Um, yeah. yeah. I love that. But thanks. Uh, again, yes, thank sir. you very much for the time that you spent today. Um, and of course, you know, you know how to contact Justin uh, at uh, realequity.com. Again, thank you very much, Justin, for taking the time out from the busy schedule to speak to us and our audience. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're listening to uh, to make sure that we can continue bringing you the best educational content. And again, thank you, everyone. Until next time, keep learning to invest for generational wealth.